Well, four years ago, this past Friday, Loudoun Valley Baptist Church gathered for our first Sunday morning service together. Uh, we began by singing Holy, Holy, Holy. We closed by singing In Christ Alone. So hopefully not much has changed. Uh, we read scripture. We prayed together, confessing our sin and praising our Savior. The sermon text was Ephesians 1, 1 through 2. And we took as our theme that in Christ, God gives peace to his people. And after our worship service, we gathered for a picnic right here in this pavilion four years and three days ago. And so as we come today to rejoice in God's faithfulness to us over the ups and downs of the past four years, I want us to turn to the Apostle Paul's words to a brand new church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. 1 Thessalonians comes right after Colossians, if that helps. So during his second missionary journey, Paul spent time in the Greek city of Thessalonica, or Thessalonica, however us non-Greek speakers want to pronounce it. Uh, in Acts 17, uh, we read how Jews and Greeks and leading women believed the gospel. But after persecution, Paul was forced to leave for Berea with Silas. Fast forward, and Paul is writing this letter now back to that church that he had left behind by force. Uh, he had been anxious for them and had sent Timothy back to check on their welfare. Timothy has responded and come back with a report that is mostly encouraging. And so Paul has heard back and He's writing this letter of encouragement now because he's heard what God has done in and through the Thessalonian church. And so as we think about our church this morning, let's look at Paul's words to another church about 2,000 years ago and see the same reasons for prayer and the same reasons for praise. So if you have your Bibles again, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. I'm just going to read for us the first three verses, and we'll focus on verses 2 and 3. First Thessalonians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul writes, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so three questions from this text today. Who are we? Who are we? What do we do? What do we do? And what about today? What about today? So first, who are we? Well, we're a church. Uh, what is a church? Well, the Christian church is, is global and historical. Uh, it spans centuries and continents. But what about our church? What is the local church? Well, we're not going to go into all the details of a definition for the local church, though that sounds like a great idea for a future Sunday school class. But I think we see some important general things about the local church, about us, 
in these verses, and indeed this letter as a whole. So look with me at verse 2. Paul, along with Silvanus, another name for Silas, and Timothy, gives thanks to God for all of you. Uh, the you there refers to the Thessalonian Christians, those who just a short time before have heard Paul teach the gospel and have believed. Uh, there in verse 3 then, Paul says he remembers these Christians in this brand new Thessalonian church before our God and Father. So right off the bat, we see that the Thessalonian Christians are united with Paul and with one another. Why? Because they all have the same God and Father. See, for the Christian, God is not only our creator, not only our judge, not only our king, but he is our Father. This is one of the greatest glories of the gospel, if you want to rank them. That Jesus has saved us not only by dying for us and rising again for us, by those, but by those saving acts, bringing us into a new spiritual family. Jesus is our older brother who has gone before us and secured for us his loving father's acceptance of us. Sinners, now saints, brought in as adopted children of God. I love how the late J.I. Packer reflected on God's fatherhood in his classic work, Knowing God. He says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For Father is the Christian name for God. So if you're here this morning, friend, and you're not a Christian, now we are so happy you're here, and there's no place we'd rather you be, but we want you to know that having God as Father can change everything for you. And you can only know God as your father through faith in what Jesus has done. Dying to take your sin on himself, rising again to give you new life. If you will repent of your sin and trust in Christ, you too will be able to call God Father. And church family, what a joy that we know God as Father. Indeed, that truth unites us. Why are we together? Why do we love one another? Because we have one Father. And having that understanding then means something not only for how we relate to God vertically, but how we relate to one another now horizontally. Being God's child means something for how we see God's other adopted children. See, as one people with one father, we're now brothers and sisters. That's part of the deal. Paul will go on to call the Thessalonian Christians his brothers at least 14 more times in this short letter. See, church, the new life we have as Christians is not meant to be lived alone. 
We're family now. This isn't our choice. We can't be, we can't just say, I love Jesus, I love spirituality, but I can't handle the church. It's part of the deal. This is what God has made us to be in his son, united to Christ and with one another. We are now members of the same body, branches of the same tree, bricks in the same building. All three metaphors that scripture gives us for who we are as a church. The Christian life is meant to be lived in community with one another. And of course, that community can be found in many, many wonderful ways. Bible studies, small groups, campus ministries, our solidarity with the persecuted global church. But in scripture, we most often see community as Christians defined by the local, smaller church. So Jason Allen, who's a president of a seminary in the Midwest, he writes this. He says, the church universal refers to all the redeemed in the history of the world. The church universal is often called the invisible church because we ultimately aren't able to know who or how many comprise it. And yet, he says, almost every reference of church in the New Testament is about the local church. By local church, I mean a group of Christians who have covenanted together to gather regularly for worship and for ministry. Friends, this is one of the reasons we encourage those who attend Loudoun Valley Baptist Church to take the next step and become members of our church family. So we trust that as Christians you have been converted and born again into the family of God. But we also know that the pattern for individual Christians in Scripture is then to unite with some local church family where you can carry out that new family bond in real time, real life, real family. This is the new reality the Father has brought us into. This is who we are now. And this new reality is beautiful. It's God's design. But it's not glorified yet. See, we as a church, we have, what, 59 members of Loud Valley Baptist Church, all sinners, believe it or not. All still tempted by sin, even on a Sunday morning. So the church is here for us to grow in godliness. So we do that in accountability with our brothers and sisters as a family. Brothers offend each other, brothers fight, brothers forgive, and brothers press on. There are no perfect churches, but there are healthy churches that call sin what it is and seek holiness together. Spurgeon once said, if I had never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I should never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it, for it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still, imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. So Loudoun Valley Baptist Church, that's who we are. We are united in Christ and to one another. So what do we do? What do we do as the church? Well, here in these verses, Paul gives thanks for the Thessalonians and says he's prayed for them as he remembers three things specifically about them. Do you see that? Three things that they do and have done that show clearly that they have truly been converted to Christ. 
They should sound familiar to your ears. They are faith, hope, and love. So there in verse 3, Paul remembers the Thessalonians' work of faith. So these new Christians have a new faith, a new trust in God. And that faith, Paul recognizes, is not passive, but active. They have turned from idols to the living God. They have persevered in trial. Those things take blood, sweat, and tears. Church family, our faith works. We are not saved by works, but we are saved by a faith that works. A faith that must be received, opened up, and used. This faith is fueled by God's power, and it impacts all who come into contact with those who possess it. See, Christian, one of the ways you will be assured you are in Christ is if your faith works, if your faith bears fruit. And guess what? One of the primary places where your faith will bear fruit is right here in the local church. As you exercise the one another commands of the New Testament, loving one another, watching over one another, forgiving one another, rebuking one another. The local church is God's designed proving ground for your faith. Is your faith real? Do you circle and circle in doubt about whether it's real? Well, what does your church think? Have you asked that question of those who know you in your context of this church family? Next, Paul remembers the Thessalonians' labor of love. Uh, again, the concept of strain, right? Work, toil, labor. And this time, it's not faith, it's love. Love for God that the Thessalonians have. Love for one another. Love for Christians in other places. Love for the lost, Paul will go on to say a few chapters later. This love compels them to act. See, love is not merely an emotion. It's not merely a feeling here. It is an action. It serves. It cares. It sacrifices. It desires. And church, you should know this. It takes work to love other people in the church. It takes labor to wake up those who are drowsy in their faith. It takes labor to breathe fresh courage into those who are on the brink of giving up on Jesus. It takes labor to lay aside your plans, your dreams, to help those who are weak and will never be able to pay you back. Those are not just things elders and pastors do. Those are things every church member does. Laboring in love. A labor that is never in vain in the Lord. And finally, Paul remembers their steadfastness of hope. Now this touches on a theme in this letter, if you go ahead and read it this afternoon, that just goes, is interwoven all throughout the five chapters of this short letter. It's this theme of Jesus' return, of the end of the age. And it's that hope that causes the Thessalonians to endure persecution and hardship for their faith. See, the work of faith and the labor of love in the church only makes sense if we know that we're heading somewhere. 
You're, right? Like when you're working, when you have a menial job at home, or you're working at your desk at work, or you're changing your kids' crib sheets for the nth time, that work and that labor of love has a goal, right? You're striving for something, and the same is true of Christians in the local church. Jesus is coming back, people. That's where we're headed. That's why we work. That's why we labor. Because heaven's where we're going. And guess who's going to be in heaven? Jesus and all y'all. Right? Jesus is going to come back, and that must make us steadfast in the here and now. And so our hope is what spurs us onward. Our hope is what propels us to love. Our hope is what empowers us in our faith. So, LVBC, who are we? We are the family united in Jesus as brothers and sisters. What do we do? We work steadfastly in faith, hope, and love. And ultimately, it's not our strength that will get us to the end, but God's sovereign hand. I love the benediction or the doxology Paul gives at the end of the letter. You've heard these words, I trust. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. How? That's scary. Can I make it? He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do. So that's who we are, and that's what we do. What about today? I mean, these are pretty broad categories that we've just looked over. Faith, hope, and love. I mean, we cross-stitched that and put it above our sink in our kitchen, but like, how do we live that out today? Well, what does Paul do in these verses? He gives thanks to God, and he prays. And I think those are things we can do every day without much preparation. Maybe, maybe good things to commit to doing more for and in our church in the days ahead. So there in verse 2, Paul gives thanks to God always for all the Thessalonian Christians. Notice he gives thanks to God for what he sees in them. That means that it's God who's the source, right? It's God who's given them faith. It's God who's given them hope. It's God who's given them love. And so he gives thanks to God as he remembers those who he's left behind in Thessalonica and the way they've grown in faith. I wonder, church member, do you thank God for this church? Do you thank God for the brothers and sisters God has given you here? If you go down the street in Percival and you ask people what they think of Christian institutional church, I think a lot of them will say infighting, conflict. And brothers and sisters, bitterness and bickering have a hard, hard time growing in the soil of thankfulness. Thanking God unites brothers and sisters. So let me start. Thank God for Rod and Terry and their musical skill and heart as they lead us in song. Thank God for Kevin and Megan, because they serve without complaining. Thank God for Melody's eagerness to bless others with her gifts. Thank God for Drew's baptism and his evident growth in his faith since then. 
Thank God for Ed and Angela, always diligent behind the scenes. Thank God for Elias and his eager heart to build up this body. Thank God for Zachary and Laura Beth and their love for hospitality. Thank God for Kevin and Jenny and their deep-seated love of truth. Thank God for Jack and Carol, whose encouragement just seems to never end. Thank God for Jason and Aubrey and their consistent care week in and week out for this family. Thank God for Trent and Lillian and their evident love for Jesus. Thank God for Aaron Kay and his tireless, genuine care for us. Thank God for Peter and Corey and their faithful, steady influence. Thank God for Lee and Wendy's calm spirits and loving hearts. Thank God for John and Jamie and their humble faith. Thank God for Jim and Lori's use of their home as an extension of us. Thank God for Jim Miller and his desire to serve without recognition. Thank God for Eli and Gracie and their heart to show mercy to our community. Thank God for Jerry and Louise and their infectious hope in Jesus. Thank God for Josh Ridge and his eagerness to serve after a time away and hop right back into things. Thank God for Noah Ridge and his initiative to get others not just his age, but of all demographics in our church. Thank God for Daryl and Carla and their relentless encouragement, and I mean relentless. Thank God for Rebecca and her cheerful heart. Thank God for Ian and his devotedness to the word. Thank God for Andrew and his commitment to our local church during busy college years. Thank God for Jacob Smith and his musical gifts. Thank God for Marnie and our ability to, to celebrate her baptism a few years back. Thank God for Nick and his desire to stand for truth. Thank God for Andrew and Kirsten and their compassion for others. Thank God for Jane and her support of the church in many different ways. Thank God for Garrett and his servant's heart. Thank God for Michael and Hannah and their concern for the needy within and without the church. Thank God for Kyle and his warmth towards others. That's not self-congratulation. God has done that in us. So we thank God. We give thanks to him, for he is faithful. We give thanks to him for his work in us, and then we let others know that we're thanking God for them. And then finally, what do we do today? We pray. Paul says he constantly mentions the Thessalonians in his prayers. It's the same word that he uses in chapter 5 to say he prays without ceasing. Paul's habit is to pray for other Christians. And church, may we do the same today. Asking God to do what only he can do in us. John Stott writes on this passage, and he says, Memory, thanksgiving, and prayer belong together. Perhaps we need to pray and work for better memories. For it is when we remember people, their faces, names, and needs, that we are prompted both to thank God and to pray for them. So church, this is who we are, this is what we do, and these are some things we can do today. May God bless us richly over the next four years.
as we strive for faith, hope, and love. Let's pray. Lord, we look back on the past four years with mixed feelings. We've been encouraged, disappointed, hurt. We've had breakthroughs, joy, sorrow. But what we do see all throughout is your hand at work to bless your people. So we ask that you would keep us and hold us fast. We ask that you would bless us all the way to 2024, if it be your will, to be more faithful, loving, and hopeful because we know you are the one working in us. We thank, thank you that you are faithful and you will do it. Amen.